This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 9 of the Foreign Policy Podcast Beyond Nation and State on Suno India. I'm your host and independent journalist Smita Sharma. can listen in to all the audio episodes on the Suno India app Spotify and Apple podcasts and new episodes drop every Wednesday Last year in July of 2022 I was in Sri Lanka witnessing the Gota Gogama chants by protesters Now the poetry and music of the Aragalai movement resonated across the air as hundreds of thousands of anti-government protesters and activists remained camped since April in tents pitched across the golf face greens the coastal front in capital colombo close to the presidential secretariat now protesters wanted the resignation of president gotabaya rajapaksa brother of Mahinda Rajapaksa who was also forced to quit as prime minister the island nation had been economically crippled last year the worst financial crisis that it faced in its modern history as there was a severe foreign currency crunch and citizens struggled for food and essential supplies people had to wait in long serpentine queues outside fuel station for days of a single refill also there were continued electricity shortages by july though events unfolded fast with homes of lawmakers and politicians being torched gotabaya forced to flee sri lanka and resign and six time prime minister ranil wickremasinghe was elected the new president despite the protesters demanding that the entire ruling elite should quit soon after a brutal military crackdown followed on the protesters and they were removed forcibly from the sites in the last one year sri lanka assisted by india japan the world bank has tried finding a way out of its huge international debts crisis and is seeking an international monetary fund bailout so president ranil wickremasinghe was in new delhi recently on his first bilateral visit since resuming office last year and he held formal talks with prime minister narendra modi on 21st of july but the big question is is there faith in his leadership now in sri lanka does the country feel that it is headed on a positive trajectory to understand what lies beneath the surface i am joined today by dilrukshi handuneti she is an award winning journalist and a lawyer she is also the founder and director of the colombo based center for investigating reporting on twitter you can engage with her as dilrukshi h with a capital h dilrukshi thank you so much for finding time to join me here on this podcast from colombo thank you smita for having me it's such a wonderful thing to be talking to you You know I was mentioning about events last July and I was there in Sri Lanka things were so chaotic we couldn't even find time to meet in person given the fuel shortages the electricity outages uh, how are you doing now uh, is it business as usual can one say that on ground 
I think for any visitor, it would look uh, like Sri Lanka has returned to normalcy, whatever you want to call uh, seeming political stability. Uh, but uh, if you really take a you know, look at how people live, I think that's really where the story is, where the reality is. People actually generally uh, lead a hand-to-mouth existence. A lot of people go without at least one meal a day and uh, jobs are becoming difficult to maintain. There are no salary increases for the middle class. And in any country, the middle class is the you know large majority of the people. If you think about farmers, farmers are so important because last year farmers were the one, the ones who were in the forefront protesting, and this was linked to uh, the fertilizer, you know, the shift from uh, chemical to organic fertilizer use. So that also had political repercussions, as we remember. Um, so there is volatile currency, there is high inflation, and so there isn't the kind of normals you would expect, and it's also natural because it's only been a year. Um, since uh, the political upheaval took place. So a lot of things appear to be normal. The queues have, of course, come to an end. But for how long and what is the long-term strategy to return to the real normalcy that Sri Lankans are used to would be the real question. You know, but when you look at the government today, of course, it has increasingly through its statements been downplaying those protests by saying that they were really a response to uh, the acute shortages of economic supplies uh, of whether it's you know electrical uh, the electric outages and all of that is that how do you think the protests should be defined was it really about just the hardships faced because of the financial crisis I think there are a lot of theories by now. A year after we are able to analyze and see what, uh, whether there were many reasons that drove the protests in Colombo. But I think the hardships were truly one serious reason for doing that. There would have been elements of politics and people who, uh, you know, I'm sure, Smitha, you've heard about the theories of, you know, interested groups uh, investing in, you know, supporting these protests. But overall, the hardships drove the average citizen to the street and that cannot be negated. I mean, some of us may not have joined the protests, but then, you know, there were a lot of well-wishers for this. And it's not only because of the hardships. And I think that would be a misnomer to say that it was simply because of the hardships. People connected the hardships to a governance crisis in Sri Lanka. And there, there is no way to get away from that responsibility. And the current dispensation is also responsible for offering answers as to why the protests happen. And if you just want to take away the cues and say your, your demands have been met, not so. Then why are people demanding even now? Why are people still wanting to hit the streets now? There is a serious governance crisis and that needs to be addressed. And the only way to dealing with it is not to crack down and take the protesters from last year, you know, under, uh, you know, using various legal tools and, um, you know, not so conventional ways of taking people into custody or, you know, browbeating them into silence. So it's very clear that the government is very unhappy and very uncomfortable with the discourse here. And uh, the people's protests have not been... uh, They've been partially successful. For the, I think it's a watershed moment in Sri Lankan political history that after 75 years of independence, people actually took the streets and drove an elected president out of office and a man who was considered invincible at that point. But it's done. But you cannot be chasing presidents out of office all the time. So the next step would be to have 
a real discussion and that discussion part is not happening it is as if we've addressed the queues and we all know these are temporary solutions even addressing the queues how much can you borrow from your neighborhood from asian leaders from imf you know you really need some hardcore solutions to this question okay and before i come to that dilrukshi because you just mentioned that citizens are being browbeaten or people have been thrown behind jails on conventional methods that you referred to because i do remember the protesters and i was just speaking recently to one of them danes who was also a leading face uh, he told me that how he had been in jail for 35 days and now of course he's wanting to float his own political outfit uh, is there any channel on for communication with ordinary people so are they being taken into confidence at all by the government of the day um from what i know it is not happening and i think that's really important for two reasons one is that young people who probably would not have hit the streets uh because they also don't subscribe to the old theories of you know protesting and the political conversations people are used to having so they felt that they had certain rights and they had to voice their protest against things that were happening in their own country and that you had to determine your own future so initially there was an invitation by the president to come and engage with him but it didn't work at all you know that the, there was no real conversation and then if you have a policy of saying no more protest in your in this country because it's really not how i'm going to handle uh, protesters and protests uh, but we are also going away from constitutional provisions because we do uh, recognize the right to protest we understand that everybody cannot be protesting on a daily basis on an, any number of issues but it is a citizen's right because that is also one of those few citizens in rights that are available if you don't know if you don't like what's happening in your country and if you think you have to hold the government accountable uh, sometimes it's way too late perhaps to wait for the next election and looking at sri lanka we don't even know when the elections are going to happen so this channel of communication is not necessarily open uh, from what i know and we do not engage young people it's it's business as usual for those in power they negotiate with countries they negotiate with you know um um international uh, lenders but you're having that discourse you're not really engaging and talking to your own people and you know taking them into trust and saying here is my you know plan for the next number of months and this is why i'm talking to india or to china these are the terms that we have agreed to so it's very opaque hmm it's a very important point that you've raised that it's business as usual for those in government but you know clearly the hardships continue for the common people what about the protesters the lukshi we saw the kind of brutal crackdown that had happened on them as soon as ranil wickremesinghe became president following the events in july last year how many of them still remain in jail are there numbers to suggest that there are still large number of people who are either facing the law who have who are being harassed by legal agencies or who are behind the bars i think majority of them are out now but most of them are on bail uh, but the legal process is continue so that's the other thing when when a legal process is continuing uh, this also means that the extra burden of having to go to court and to engage in that process so that's one thing and that is you know at least we can count and say the, these are the number of cases these are the people who have been you know taken uh, you know taken to task but 
the regular protest uh, protesters they are being threatened from what i know they get messages saying don't hit the streets again so whether it's government or other other agencies there could also be various other interest groups other non state actors so you know when when there is that that sense of lawlessness it's possible for all kinds of other groups to also be active and to be you know take taking a course that is uh to their advantage and lot of, lot of party a lot of parties are saying that it is happening so um there is general fear if you notice that people do protest but it, those protests are not the kind of protests you saw a year ago so they're quite watered down and uh, even yesterday there was a crackdown people were protesting and this small protest i really don't see why uh, the, everything has to be a crackdown you know, that every 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 protest has to be disrupted that the water cannons to be used um let people protest and raise their issues as long as they are not breaking the law and harming public property or people hmm. oh just for the reference of those who are tuning in we are recording this podcast on 24th of july and when dilrukshi talks about yesterday she is referring to some protests that took place on sunday but uh, dilrukshi have the other political parties the ones who were in the opposition who are still in the opposition have they also signed on with this high handed iron hand approach of ranil vikramasinghe are they backing him solidly at the moment when it comes to ensuring that there is no sort of chance of a protest being mobilized again uh that's an interesting question smita i don't think ranil vikramasinghe enjoys the, that kind of support from within or outside um but he's still our president and opposition parties have spoken against uh the kind of continued crackdowns um the lawlessness of it all and the fact that we don't seem to be respecting basic human rights in in sri lanka it's actually a case study right now because it's also very nuanced very layered also it's not just only what you get to see when a when a protest is attacked there's a lot more that's happening um i don't think there is opposition support or even possibly there could be government support and we know whose government he's heading and this is the same government that the people wanted to get rid of and the only thing is a cosmetic change of a president uh, who probably has a plan of action which is different to that of the rajapakshas and possibly slightly uh, impactful at least is ended the queues so beyond that is again another question but i don't think he enjoys public support or political support but whether he stops to wait to win that support is one thing but i can also see that the protests from within the political parties it's also lacking uh, in vigor lacking in power and and the fact that they seem to have also kind of accepted the status quo uh, these are whimpers of protests it's not the kind of protest that we are used to seeing it's like tokenistic protests uh, and i'm i'm sure that people wouldn't like what i'm saying but that's what i we, what we see as journalists and citizens it's not good enough to just uh, issue a statement or to make a speech and say what's happening is not acceptable there isn't sufficient resistance so they're possibly just trying to check the boxes to show that you know yes we did raise our voice even if it was just tokenism what about their dealing with the media is the media narrative being controlled sri lanka has also had a free press there are independent voices what are the challenges that you are facing today in your daily work Oh, there's a very recent challenge. Uh, for example, there was this uh, issue about a few deaths because of uh, 
um, lo uh, supposedly a low quality vaccination that were used. And, uh, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, public discussion around that. And now the health ministry has issued uh, a directive saying that uh, without authorization, you cannot uh, speak to the media. So if every ministry starts issuing directives to that nature, uh, who can a journalist reach out to? I mean, for voice cards, for information, journalists are eternally engaging uh, with public departments and ministries and other institutions. So um, th that's also a suppression of uh, free of free expression and beyond that, the right to information. Because people have a right to know what we have purchased, why, when, how, and why it's going wrong. So this is a real uh, overt move to control information about public health, and public health is absolutely important. And in, in a crisis, there could be many, many crises, and health is something so important. Health and education, two things that Sri Lanka was very well known for and recognized for. So if you have these issues in the health sector and public doesn't have access to information, who will mobilize that information for you? That would be the journalist. So to say that you are not allowed to speak to the journalist uh, that itself is a gag order, and and that that holds that uh, that actually goes against uh, every notion of you know democratic access to information, as well as uh, you know people every citizen's right to know what's going on and and whether how, whether we can actually access a public hospital uh, without the fear of you know without having to worry about the kind of uh, injection we might actually take and what would happen if something goes wrong and who's going to be responsible who will offer the answers so it's uh, that's what i really don't uh, like about what's happening the fact that uh, it, it's a system where you don't want to engage you don't want to offer information and i think information is key information is power and I think that is very unfortunate that South Asia as an identity today may not be something that has been weaved solidly together. But uh, this definitely is a problem that is plaguing most countries, including India, where anybody who is critical of the government, who is vocal or journalist who ha wants to exercise their right of being able to ask questions and get information and data, they face the biggest hurdles today. But uh, Dilrukshi, uh, you know, I am citing from your recent article where you wrote, as things stand, Sri Lanka's total public debt was a staggering $83.6 billion by the end of 2022, which is 28.3% of the country's GDP. And this comprises $41.5 billion in foreign debt and $42.1 billion in domestic debt, huge debts that we are talking about. Now, you mentioned the queues have ended, but tell us a little bit more about what are the daily challenges for ordinary people. What about price rise? What about cost of commodities? Uh, what about electricity outages? Well, the electricity outages have also come to an end. But what is unbearable is um, the price you have to pay for electricity. So we have seen a 50% increase of our you know, electricity tariffs. So it's insurmountable. Wow. I mean, I find it very difficult to pay that. The bill 50%? That I have. When did yes. they increase this? Uh, this was uh, early this year. And then there was a revision. So from, you know, from 10,000 to 30,000, we have gone. It's more than, more than, I mean, this is my, my bill. So it's, it's, uh, you know, for a person who's making 50,000, 70,000 rupees, it's going to be insurmountable and it's going to be in incredibly difficult to uh, have regular electricity. I'm sure people are switching off their fans and, you know, um, 
lights whenever possible because it's not possible to pay your electricity bills and then uh, then also this volatile nature of our currency the fact that it's eternally fluctuating that also does not uh, make anybody rest and then let's also not forget the basic thing about food food insecurity has increased and it's of course not as bad as it was in 2022 but uh, i do know according to the estimates that around 40 uh about 4 million people in this country and we are just nearly 23 million people here uh, uh suffer from food insecurity and in schools um i've seen i've gone to schools and seen children uh, you know being awaited for they you know they're checking whether they're underweight whether they're bringing food and there is a free uh, school meal in 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 public schools and then probably that's the only meal that some children have so those hardships remain and it's it's not what you get to see uh, when you walk in the streets of colombo and uh, not to mention the brain drain we have lost a lot of people skilled people and uh, the estimate also shows from january to may over 433000 people uh, have traveled overseas and uh, 15000 doctors have already left in the first five um, months of this year so these are gone, these are um, authentic estimates so if that's if that's the problem we have obviously we are not creating more jobs we are not retaining the people we have invested in and even if you um, have new programs and i know sri lanka is talking to india about a lot of bilateral uh, initiatives so where would you find the human resource to make these programs work that's also important you can't be hiring people from overseas to work on these projects if you get them you know underway so we have already we are losing the skilled people we are also losing the low skilled people there's this surge of people moving to the middle east and you know we are a labor exporting country and the numbers are increasing um i think we are going to also have an issue of you know critical labor not being available in the country uh and that's going to be very important when you want to repay your debt because you need to have revenue generation through uh, enterprises so uh you know there there are these humongous hurdles in a country of 22 million people but one of sri lanka's curse has also been that it has just been so dependent on tourism essentially for all kinds of revenue generation are economists suggesting a way out of how do you diversify on the ways of generating revenue for the country so that you don't keep repeating these cycles time and again that's an excellent question smita because this is something that the leaders for the past 75 years have not necessarily provided an answer to the people and uh, being so um, uh, so dependent on imports in a country that has a lot of resources and the the fact that we have not been so interested in developing our own industries and if you look around the um, the rest of asia uh, india and china included there is there is an obvious investment in generating your own uh, income and in in uh, you know developing your own industries sri lanka has never really looked at it we have always been thinking about a service economy but we are not really good at that either so if you really want solutions and the economists are saying that we need to look at new models more cycles of borrowing is not going to solve our problem and again when you think about the areas of silence or lack of sharing of information would also be uh, this would be one such where we would also want to know what is your blueprint for the next 2 years and 3 years because when you have to go into debt servicing 
how will we repay beyond taxing people who are already dying under the tax burden who cannot actually fend for themselves and who are leaving the country because in desperation you also have to reach a point of servicing these debts and then you have to have industries you know really functional industries and you're not going to start new initiatives and see the fruits uh, in the next two years obviously not so this also drives a lot of suspicion among people and uh, that is something to be factored in when people show uh, animosity distrust towards china or india it comes from the fact that people don't know what deals are being struck on their behalf by the government so which would also mean that people are not buying the assurances that keep coming in from ranil vikramasinghe in front of institutional lenders other countries when he says that the country will be able to overcome bankruptcy by september so are people doubtful are people still resentful uh, are they just frustrated have they just given up doubtful and resentful yes doubtful because uh, you have to take people into your confidence people did not drive this country to bankruptcy but its leaders did so you actually owe answers to the people and i think this uh, this disengagement and disrespect for the populace is something that continues and this was so with the previous regime and it is so with the current regime this tokenistic discussions and tokenistic statements are not good enough for a country that is going through this kind of hardships so that is one the lack of communication from from the the political leaders in this country and the second second thing is that you really have to have economic plans and you really have to use the brain that are available in the country uh, to uh, to its benefit and come up with a new agenda so people do not trust people actually fear um people fear when when the sri lankan government says we are negotiating for a bailout the bailout i think at that given moment was critical because we needed to win the trust of other bilateral or multilateral lenders that we still can you know raise our head raising our head doesn't mean that we actually have a solution and uh, also people expected this is unfortunate the desperation was such that people expected things to suddenly improve after the bailout the bailout was not meant to be that bailout was meant to be something else so it's just to get your head up a little bit out of this deep waters um and then you need the next set of plans so people fear when when uh, when uh, the government says that we are engaging with uh, multilateral donors or bilateral donors and uh, when there are discussions about initiatives um all kinds of development plans that are going to re- uh, to commence people fear and i think at the core of that fear is also the lack of information and also lack of lack of political and economic knowledge that so economies are very very um very unique things right what what uh, what a country like china could do is not something that pakistan or sri lanka could be doing for example so there is something about a size the economic model and what works for each nation but uh, you have to also understand what can work for sri lanka what models can work for sri lanka but understood that the old model doesn't work for us So just coming to the last part of this conversation I mean when it comes to India's role and just to let some of our unversed 
listeners and viewers of this video know that uh, India so far actually has provided around uh, $4 billion of uh, financial and humanitarian assistance. This has included fuel, medicine supplies, food supplies uh, during the peak critical hours. Uh, it was also the first creditor which actually extended a letter of support towards Sri Lanka's debt restructuring efforts that was crucial to kick off that process of a bailout from the International Monetary Fund. Uh, in, and Ranil Vikramasinghe, when he was in New Delhi, we saw a lot of focus being on technology, on renewable energy, on greater connectivity, including some projects in Trincomalee in the East. Uh, for the ordinary Sri Lankans, after this crisis, uh, Dilrukshi, has the view towards India, the approach towards India, do you sense that there has been any change? Unfortunately, Smitha, I think India would always be treated as suspect. And this is general, it's a very broad general statement. Uh, but having said that, there are, you know, people with more nuanced understanding and people who do understand that uh, the neighborhood first policy uh, would also extend to supporting Sri Lanka in its deepest, you know, darkest hour. Um, so that's that's what you see at, at ground. Um, but the strategic cooperation components of uh, what was discussed and the kind of humanitarian assistance that was given, it was critical. I think there was a surge of failing, uh, uh, some kind of shift uh, last year uh, when we spoke to people. Of course, there was always that doubt as to why they would want to do that. And this is a very historical thing. And that's entirely another discussion. Why? Generally, Sri Lankans would look at that, look at India that way. But besides that, but I saw people responding positively to that whenever we spoke to them. Uh, they felt that India, India came to assist Sri Lanka when Sri Lanka had no friends, technically. And uh, two types of funding. And, and also the fact that India stood by uh, Sri Lanka when, when, when we, we needed that bailout package uh, and to lock the other creditors into a discussion that uh, India backed Sri Lanka. But these are not things that the average citizen would necessarily understand how it works and why it works. But then does the average citizen actually get into a comparison of what China is doing, what its debt trap is doing, vis-a-vis -vis what India's role has been in Sri Lanka? Is that a common discourse on the streets? I think the past one year has been enlightening uh, to most Sri Lankans. And if you never understood uh, Indo-Sri Lanka relations or uh, China-Sri Lanka relations, I think there is at least slightly better understanding because of the crisis we got into and what debt can do and uh, what it can do. It can actually break a fairly decent country and, and, and make you go through all these hardships. So that I think that much is understood. But what is also not understood is by in, in terms of, you know, repayment in term, in term of, uh, in terms of renegotiating your loans, what, what it would mean, uh, technically for you to, you know, the sign ups, what do you sign up for? Um, the people understand that still, uh, China is pretty elusive, and uh, in, in 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 you know having this conversation about settling debt and getting into a repayment scheme that China is still um, not forthcoming, and whereas India has played a very different role. I think generally some people, uh, those who at least have some fair of understanding of foreign policy, would know and accept that. India's role has been very different to that of China. But they would also unpack that uh, Indian approach as uh, some, you know, in, in terms of a foreign policy discussion, it would be seen in a different light. Uh, 
to the common citizen, I think it's more about what would happen in Trincomalee. Do you want a base there? Um, you know, is it a military base? Are you going to pump out our oil? And uh, and there were discussions about this land connectivity uh, with the north uh, with the northern part of Sri Lanka and uh, the the Nagapatnam ferry service. So these are these are things that we have been talking from day dot. But now people see the possibility of these things uh, becoming reality. And this reality is linked to debt servicing. And this really drives, uh, I mean, th- there is no way to work around it. I mean, this is this is fact. So uh, people feel that and uh, pe- uh, probably people feel comfortable with the tourism promotion that's happening between India and Sri Lanka because Indians are seen as, you know, they're very similar to us and culturally uh, very connected. Um, but uh, the introduction of Indian currency and the kind of development uh, developments that are taking place in the eastern uh, eastern parts of Sri Lanka in Trincomalee, the strategic connectivity, the ferry service, all of these could actually drive fear among some parts, some people. And uh, of course, it's, when, you, when you talk about energy, there would be also uh, some issues about maritime security. People would also worry about uh, maritime security of the Sri Lankan state. There would be all kinds of concerns. So again, we go back to that initial uh, point, Smita, of sharing information, how countries and regions groupings uh, for example how ASEAN would you know work as a region and move forward so uh, whether South Asia has the capacity beyond SARC to do that and whether we have the will and the ability whatever name you want to use it and whether we're going to do that and whether it is of benefit to the Sri Lankans to work closely with India or with China on certain issues as you said China cannot be discounted. China will be there knocking on our doors, asking us to, you know, service the debts. So to do that, the Sri Lanka will have to work with those who are willing to work with Sri Lanka. And this would mean some initiatives that may be palatable or even unpalatable to the public. And these, some of these could be very hard decisions that the political leaders of this country uh, got to make. And we have seen historically sometimes that uh, such decisions having been, uh, having been made. But I think critical that we talk to people, that this kind of general understanding uh, becomes something, you know, citizens get to have that information. Without that, you cannot say that people will not revolt, people will uh, not act again. Absolutely. An information black hole doesn't work well, neither for the ruler nor for the ruled. Uh, Tilrukshi, you know, during uh, the last year's the Araglai movement for 100 days and so, one of the points that was being talked about was that how this has also united the country in many ways, uh, bringing together the ethnic divisions, the religious divisions. Is that something that continues when it comes to the issue of the Tamil minorities, for instance? Is there a societal approach which is different today, uh, that you feel? I think desperation, um, you know, the kind of strife, the kind of difficulties we experienced last year uh, showed every citizen in this country that only united we stand. 
divided you definitely fall so i think also the the young generation people understand they don't they do not even have memories of the war they did not live through those years so it's a new generation of people and protesters their ideas would be different and and the political leaders must factor in that that they don't carry the baggage that that previous generation carries and they deserve a different future and they they should be allowed to define a future uh, in which we do not uh, we do not stand polarized uh, along ethnic religious lines um it was there it was quite heartening uh, for people to come together and i also think there is greater understanding uh, and uh, some some kind of emotional connectivity if i may, may say so uh, for the first time uh, from in in the southern parts of sri lanka people actually understood what kind of strife was there previous in in previous years you know in the northern part of sri lanka and what drove the conflict what was the you know what, what was creating that dissent and dislike or uh, dislike uh, lack of acceptance of the political leadership in the south so i think that understanding exists but uh, when you're polarized and we have been polarized for decades one year of connectivity is not going to um, be some uh, get cemented uh, so so quickly uh, and it's also very easy for politicians to come and uh, play that same old game of divide and rule so we're back to in some ways to being the singhalese buddhist nation that we we wanted to be you still have that discourse but at the same time there is some kind of pushback and that's a good thing and i think aragalaya has changed the way we approach things the way we look at uh the political power play and what you can do as a citizen so even if it did not bring the everlasting you know changes that it may have it may probably wanted to see some some changes have taken place in the people's psyche and i think those are beneficial that we would look at things differently we will have a youth led approach and and the fact that we do not recognize those old historical grudges against each other that's good to hear dilrukshi just a final question the elections of course have been stalled by the government indefinitely citing that there is no funds really the country is still in that desperate financial situation to be able to afford holding of the elections uh, how you think people will continue being patient with this for some time to come is there a restlessness that is growing maybe within the youth sections who were part of the araglai movement there is a lot of restlessness and young people particularly those who are associated with the aragale movement are are really feeling it and they are the ones who are being hounded by the state as well so they are being hounded and they are also the vocal people in this country they are the ones who are bringing up issues and of course there are elements of politics and there are political parties also taking part in protests and and having their own protests uh, how far i i think it would be very important for the political leaders of this country to really uh understand that you cannot continue uh this way without elections without engaging the public without seeking a public mandate for for very critical decisions um that you just cannot say that we are in office and we are going to serve this period as we de- you know deem deem it fit uh we are a democracy we are we are not any i mean that's the style of governance we have chosen so you do have to go by that um i think the dissent will grow and it will continue to simmer but there could be 
uh, you know, at a point, time when some very critical, decisive uh, things are being decided upon by the state. There could be people protesting all over again, and this time it would not be about the queues. This time it would be about people not being heard and people not being allowed to make those political choices. Thank you so much, Dilrukshi. Enlightening as always, you know, for putting things into context, for explaining what is really happening inside Sri Lanka today beyond some of the headlines that we get to read in international press, including in India. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Meta. Wonderful speaking to you as well. That's all that we have time for in this edition of Beyond Nation and State. You can engage with me on Twitter at Smita underscore Sharma. I'm on Insta and Facebook as Smita Sharma Journalist. And that's also the handle for my YouTube station where the video segment of this podcast drops later. So thanks for tuning in. Do not forget to download the Suno India app and you can also listen in to all the past episodes on Suno India, Apple as well as the Spotify podcasts. If you do tune in, please do share your feedback as well as leave your ratings on the app. Thanks again and take care. Thank you.